Well, church, I'm excited to be here this morning. If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew, the 16th chapter. We're going to be in the 16th chapter of Matthew, and then we're going to flip over to the 17th chapter of Matthew. So we're going to hop a bit today. And while you're turning there to Matthew 16, verse 13, I'm going to pray for us, okay? Lord Jesus, Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Father God, that your word has the ability to change us. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Warm hearts to receive the living, incarnate word of God today. Lord, that it could produce a harvest seven and ten times more than we ever thought possible. God, we welcome you. We thank you for the people that are gathered here. God, they're not here to hear a speech. Lord, they're here to hear from you. And so, Father God, let your voice be heard in this assembly today in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. All right. So Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, I'm going to read it out of the new King James version. And it says, when Jesus came into the region of Sisera Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I am? And so they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. So now flip over in your Bible to chapter 17. So what's just happened is that Peter has had this revelation of who God is. He's been walking with him for a long time, almost two and a half years, but then all of a sudden it clicks with him. This is not just a good teacher. This is not just a wise guy. This guy's just not going to help me live my best life now. This man is the son of the living God. And so now what happens next? In chapter 17, it says six days, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and his brother and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud and said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus. Now as they came down from the mountain, everyone say, down from the mountain. Jesus commanded them saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. So what we just read in Matthew 16 and 17 happens to every believer. I don't know if your grandma was saved. I don't know if you have a lot of money or a little money. But everybody starts their journey with Jesus the exact same way, just like Peter did. It comes with this revelation that this is not just a good guy. This is not just somebody who I think I should follow. But the Holy Spirit, God himself, reveals to you that this is the son of the living God, 
not a way, the way, the truth, and the light. And all of a sudden, you come to Jesus just like everyone else always does on bended knee, and you have this revelation. Well, then, just like Peter... The Lord puts an assignment on your life because once you know who Jesus is, once he's revealed to you, then all of a sudden your destiny changes. And what happened in Matthew 16 is that Jesus says, good on you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And now I'm going to change your name to Peter. So Simon's name in the Hebrew meant a reed swayed by opposing forces. And it was an indication of his personality a little bit. But the Lord speaks to him and he says, you know what? Because I'm real to you, because I'm now your savior, you're not going to be swayed by opposing forces, Peter. You're going to be my rock. You're going to be the rock I build my church on. And church, for you and I, when we receive the Lord as our Savior, our past doesn't indicate where our future is going. Our personality and its flaws, the hang-ups, the baggage we have, that is all under the blood of Jesus Christ. And we receive an assignment. We receive a new destiny when Jesus becomes our Lord and Savior. So that's how it starts with everyone. Well, after that... They start to journey with the Lord, and six days later, there's this revelatory experience on the Mount of Transfiguration, and the Lord is, is transfigured before them. Well, this is what's crazy. Moses used to talk to God like a man talks to a friend, and when he would leave the tent of meeting, his face would just radiate with God's glory. He was reflecting the glory of God. He actually used to wear a veil because it wigs some people out. Like you walked in there and you weren't glowing, you walked out, you start glowing. That's a little too real for me, Moses. That's how it used to be. He wore a veil. What's happening to Jesus is Jesus is radiating from the inside out. The glory of God is becoming so real in him. He is communing so closely with the Father that he's not only reflecting God's glory, but the spirit in him is being made alive in him. And Peter is astounded. And Moses and Elijah showing up is a pretty big deal too. I've seen some cool things, but I have never seen Moses and Elijah in my prayer closet at home. (laughs) Never. And so Peter is like, this is amazing. And he says, I got a great idea. I got a great idea. I'm going to build three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one Elijah. And we'll just stay right here. And God himself intervenes because this is the deal. Peter was right. It was good to be there on that mountaintop, but it wasn't God's will for Jesus's life. It wasn't God's will for Peter's life, and it's not God's will for you and I. Those mountaintops experiences are amazing, and we walk with the Lord, and he reveals his glory to us, but the reason he does that is that he has an assignment for us off the mountain. And the temptation that you and I fight is the temptation to want to stay on that mountaintop. We want to stay right there. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to confess something to you guys. I'm the chief of staff at this church, and I sit in the same seat every Sunday, right next to that cute guy in the plaid shirt. If you want to know where I'm at, check the fourth row back, three seats in. I'll be right there, unless I have to preach, and then I'll sit right here. <laughs> And I feel sorry for this half of the church because I don't even know you guys. Because he says, get out and shake your hands. I never make it past this girl right here. I like my spot. I want to sit in the same spot every Sunday. 
I like my stuff. Don't change me. 70% of the world's population is averse to change. 70%. It has nothing to do with how you grew up. It has nothing to do with how much money you have. It's just the way we're wired up. We're averse to change. And Peter's like, let's not change a thing. This is perfect. Us four and no more. I dig it. One booth for you, one booth for you, one booth for you, and I I will let the people come and visit, and they can go home, and we can stay here. And that's the temptation we have to fight today, church, because God's will for our lives is not to stay isolated on that mountaintop, but his will for your life, his assignment that he has for you is to fill you up so that you can be poured out, to fill you up so you can be poured out. And I want to encourage you. That's what we're going to dive into today. So if you're taking notes, my message is the mountaintop temptation. And point number one, destinations do not get you closer to Jesus. Daily prayer does destinations, conferences, amazing speakers, books. I love those things. But I want to tell you, if you are living your life one conference to the next, you're going to be very disappointed. It is not going to give you the equipping, strengthening power of the Holy Spirit. That was meant to be cultivated on a daily, intimate prayer basis. I'll tell you, Jesus is actually preparing himself for the cross. Matthew's gospel doesn't tell us with Moses and Elijah and Jesus we're talking about on the Mount of Transfiguration. And Peter interrupted, so we couldn't eavesdrop. I'm like, Peter, I want to listen. I mean, if Moses hasn't been around for a long time, he's probably got some good stuff to say. And so we, we don't know what they said, but Luke's gospel, when he records it, he says that Moses and Elijah were talking to Jesus about his coming departure. They're encouraging him. They're saying, we see in heaven the road that's before you, and we just came to encourage you. What do you need, son of God? How can we speak to you? Moses represents the law, Elijah represents the prophets, and Jesus represents the fulfillment of both. And he says, what can we do? They're trying to encourage their friend. And, and, and Jesus is sitting there going, any time before Jesus has a major move in his ministry, you'll catch him praying. You'll catch him praying. Luke 5.16 says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus often withdrew. It wasn't a mountaintop experience for Jesus. It wasn't something like he went and caught this conference or grabbed that speaker. It was a daily occurrence for him. He often went to lonely places and prayed. And I want to encourage you that if you want a victorious, power-filled life, it's not in the destination, it's in the daily It's in the daily, that every day that you talk to your friend, every day he whispers something into your spirit. He gives you some promise, some word, some vision, some air in your lungs, so you are confident in your next step. Because here's the deal, church. All ministry is, is, how should I say it? All ministry is a result of intimacy with Jesus Christ. All ministry. Now, some of you are going, now, Sarah, I'm not in ministry. That's your job. I'm not in ministry. That's Pastor Lance's job. Well, church, I'm here to tell you, you are in ministry. You minister to your spouse in the words that you say to them. You minister to your children in the counsel that you give them. You minister to your coworker in the way you encourage them when they're in a hard season. You minister to the person you smile at, and you don't even know their name, but you're both caught at Kroger at 4 o'clock on a Thursday afternoon. You minister all the time in all ministry is a result of intimacy with Jesus Christ. 
So now I'm going to tell you something that kind of rocked my world and changed my, my approach to prayer. I used to see prayer as sort of like meeting a friend for coffee at Starbucks. I don't know if you guys have friends like this. Maybe it's mine, but my friends are always late. You know, I get to Starbucks, and I don't see them in the parking lot, so I'm texting them like, hey, what kind of coffee you want? I'll go ahead and order it. I'll get us a table, because right now, skinny jeans and Starbucks are very hot, so it's very difficult to get a table at the Starbucks. <clears throat> so what do you want? And I, I order it, and I get everything together, and then I sit and I wait for my friend to come. And sometimes you and I approach prayer the same way. We get up, brush our teeth, because we don't want to offend God. <laughs> We're going to talk to him. I want, him to, I want him to be able to hear me. Brush our teeth, wash our face, wake up a little bit, and we get in our closet, and we kind of treat prayer like we're waiting for God to get there, like we're meeting a friend for coffee. Well, Revelation 3.20 says that, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. Jesus is not waiting. You're not waiting on Jesus in your prayer time. Jesus is waiting on you. He's standing there ready. Oh, yes, Sarah's up. She's, I'm ready, Sarah. What, what, let's talk. You know, we treat God like he's a friend. We're meeting for coffee, and we're like, okay, how much longer till it gets good in our prayer life? God is ready to go from the minute you say, Lord. The minute you whisper, we are all equal distance from the Savior, all of us. And it takes us saying, Lord, and he is present. He is near. And so it changed my whole approach to prayer life. And the whole goal is for God to fill us up so that we can be poured out. Now, here's the deal. I, I shared with some ladies in my life group, I can't give what I don't have. So I cannot be a blessing to my family unless I've received a blessing from the Lord because I can't give what I don't have. And I promise you, my children will tell you when mama has prayed and when she hasn't. It's like, go back to your closet, mama. Go back to your closet. That's where we're at. Because you can't give what you don't have. But here's the deal, church. In an infancy, when we first start walking with the Lord, when we're taking that milk of the word, we do have to receive, 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 receive. But we all mature to a place where we get to give. Where as freely as we have received, we freely give. Where our life becomes, what can we serve others with? How can I bring you more of the living water? It's not just about me to drink, to drink, to drink because I'm in a great place. It's about how do I receive so that I can give? How do I get so I can give? And that becomes the walk for us. And in that, we find fulfillment. In that, we find our life's purpose. So to help me explain this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have some friends come up. I'll go ahead and stick my iPad magnetically to the table. You might have to help me peel it off. But Isaiah and Omar and Robert, if you guys can help me out. I've got a six-foot ladder here. And Isaiah, because I have workers' comp on you, you climb the ladder. This is why we didn't ask for any civilian volunteers. He's on payroll, so insurance will cover him. And then this is, things a chief of staff knows. You know what I'm saying? Pastor Frankie pulls some of y'all up here, and I'm like, don't pick that guy. Pick staff. Pick staff. But anyway, so Isaiah is in a great spot. He is with the Lord. He has this delicious water bottle. He thirsts for nothing. He lacks for nothing. He's getting revelation. He's getting, oh, listen to that. Did you hear that? You've done this before. Well, you lead worship. See, see how cool he can look even drinking a bottle of water? He doesn't even need a guitar. It's 
like an Aquafina commercial. So this is perfect. So he is in a great spot. And you and I, we come to church on a Sunday morning and we ascend the Holy of Holies. We receive what the Lord has for us. We go into our closets and we, we sup with the Lord. But these are our friends and our neighbors who don't know the Lord. They can't receive what we've received. So Isaiah, I want you to stay on the mountain, but your friends are thirsty. I want you to try to give them some water. I want you to try to, and you can try to reach for it, guys, but you can't ascend the hill. So I want you to, oh, yes, yes, that's okay. Insurance will cover it. It's all right. Go ahead. So, so can, you get it, can you get it in their mouths, though? Can you try Because you just got them a little wet. I don't know if you can try to, oh, there you go. There you go. There you go. It's every man for himself. Thank you so much. So here's the deal. Good job. Here's the deal. When you try to share Jesus without leaving the mountain, all you do is get people wet. You don't wet their mouths. You don't satiate what they're thirsty for. All they have to show for the, for the effort is wet clothes and some water on the floor. The gospel was never meant to be shared from one mountaintop down. The gospel was meant to be shared one beggar to another, telling them where they can find bread. That's how the gospel shared. And Peter is so genuine, and I don't want to dog Peter for this, but Peter's idea was let's stay here and bring people here. But this is the truth, what Romans 10, 14, it says that how can they, my iPad is stuck. Oh, thank you guys. I was like, I can't turn verses. Remember, I've got a magnetic problem. We've got to keep them up here. It says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? They are dying of thirst. There are things in their lives that need Jesus. They need to know his healing touch. They need to know his fellowship. They need to know his peace. But they can't come to the mountain because no one's told them, how can they call on one they've never heard? And it's our job, church, that when we receive this this water from the Lord, that we turn around and we share it to another, that we get down off the mountain and we start to just share the gospel one person to the other. I was thinking this morning about a woman named Delois Branch, and she was my fourth grade Sunday school teacher. I have not seen her in probably 30 years, but she was willing to get off her mountain and come share the gospel with a group of fourth graders, and my life was never the same. Do you have someone in your life who is willing to get off their mountain and share something with you and it changed your whole world? Not just that day, but it changed your whole world. That's how the gospel works. And the Lord is looking at Peter and he says, Peter, we're not going to do religion like we've done religion in the past. God himself is speaking from heaven. And he says, you know what? You've always wanted to bring people into a tabernacle. My presence was in an Ark of the Covenant. My presence was in a temple. Well, I'm about to turn things upside down. I'm about to put my presence in people. 
that the very spirit that raised Christ from the dead is going to reside in you so that when people cross paths with you at Carline, when they cross paths with you at Kroger, when they cross paths with you in their living room, they can have an encounter with the holy living God because your words are anointed, because your presence is entertaining the Holy One of Israel. Amen? Amen. There's a story in John chapter 6 about the woman at the well. Jesus, we know he often went to lonely places and prayed, right? That's how he knew what to do. Well, it says in John chapter 6 that he felt led to go to Samaria. And he goes there and he encounters this woman at the well. And it starts her stories just like Peter's is just like ours. The Lord reveals to her, God reveals to her that this man that she's speaking to in the heat of the day is the Messiah. And then she confesses to him. She comes clean. He says, bring your husband and come back here. And she says, I have no husband. And he says, you have spoken truthfully. You've had five husbands and the man you're married to now is not even your husband. The man you live with now is not your husband. You know, we all come to that place where it's a revelation of who Jesus is, and then we hold nothing back. We tell him everything, because everything is unhidden before his sight. We don't tell each other everything. Some things are not other people's business, but everything is Jesus' business. And she lays herself bare, and the Lord changes this woman out of her start flowing springs of living water and what's the first thing she does she runs back to the town and she brings the town to Jesus she brings the town to Jesus and you and I have to have that same approach that when we see the Lord move in an area of our life where we know what it's like to be in captivity but then we know what freedom tastes like too that we're not content just to sit there and enjoy it but we know we've got to share it that we've got to go bring our friends and our town and our neighbors to Jesus and here's the other thing the disciples see this town coming out to this well And they said, Jesus, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? And in John chapter 6, Jesus says, I have food that you know not of. Church, when you and I are in partnership with the Holy Spirit, when you start sharing with others what you've been freely given, you are going to have a satisfaction and a nourishment in your life that you never thought possible. It's counterintuitive. You think if I give... I won't have as much, but that's not the way the gospel works. It's a multiplicative effect. The more you give, the more he can entrust to you to give to others. And you become this amazing conduit of the grace of God, of the love of God, of the goodness of God. And all of a sudden, you have food that nobody else understands or knows of. Amen. So the second point, if you're taking notes... It's down off the mountain that you discover your life's purpose. Jesus led his disciples up on the mountain, and he led his disciples down off the mountain. And what's waiting for them at the bottom of the mountain are sick and hurting people. And I want to encourage you guys, when we have these revelatory encounters with the Holy Spirit, do not be discouraged with what is waiting for you at the bottom of the mountain, our sick and hurting and lonely people. The whole reason the Lord filled you up was so you could be poured out. What's waiting for Jesus at the bottom of that mountain is the cross. 
That's what Moses and Elijah were preparing him for, encouraging him for. And Peter and James and John have just had this supernatural encounter, and then bam, a man comes up to them begging Jesus to heal his son. Church, I want to submit to you that the opposition that you face is likely in proportion to the glory you have witnessed. A lot of people go, what am I doing wrong? Hell is attacking me. And I want to say to you, what are you doing right? Hell is attacking you. The glory, the glory that you are bearing witness to the enemy is like, you know what? This makes me a little bit nervous. If heaven's getting crowded, hell is shaking. And he's like, you know what? You know what? You had an amazing experience, Peter, James, and John. Now come here and let me show you who's in charge down here. I'm going to throw the craziest, most heartbreaking situation I can at you. And let's see what you do. And he will do the same thing to us. And we have to back up and say, Lord, you have filled me up so that I can be poured out. That I am fully equipped for every good work. I am your workmanship, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father, that I am in this place and at this time and that I have been called for this season. And it's in that moment, it's off the mountain that you find and you discover your life's purpose. You know, the anointing will not go to lazy people. And the anointing is not something you can work for. The anointing will not go to lazy people, and the anointing is not something you can work for. It feels like a paradox. Well, what's the answer? The anointing goes to the hungry. The anointing goes to the hungry, to the people who say, Lord, for your glory, feed me so I can feed others. He told Peter, feed my sheep. I have changed your name. I have changed your destiny. Now, this is your assignment Feed my sheep. A lot of people pray for the anointing. Oh, Lord, give me the anointing. Give me the anointing. And it's, it's not for the lazy. And it's not something people are like, well, I'm working really hard, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing this, and I'm teaching Sunday school, and you need to teach Sunday school. If I don't say anything else, teach Sunday school. But it's not gonna, there's not a tit for tat when it comes to God. The anointing goes to the hungry because it's the hungry who still remember what it was like to starve. And it's the hungry who are quick to feed another. Amen? Amen. And that is what God has called us to. That's why we have to get off that mountain. God sees something in Peter. Jesus sees something in Peter and says, I'm going to change your name. I'm going to change your destiny. And he doesn't see it in the present, but he sees it in his potential. And God is calling you, and you may not know in your present how you can accomplish the dream that God has put in your heart, but I want to encourage you. He changes your name, and he gives you an assignment long before you have the potential for it. He sees the future, and he pulls it out of you. He grooms you for it. He anoints you for it. And so Peter is going to be this amazing rock that the church can be built on if God can get him off that mountain. And you are the rock and the foundation and the ministry and the minister that God needs if he can get you off that mountain. If he can fill you up so that you will in turn be poured out. If he can fill you up so that you still remember what it was like to be hungry so that you'll turn and serve and feed another. I'm going to read a story that I found. If the musicians want to come and play, I found this in ABC News. I was 
reading online and it just struck me because I saw so many spiritual parallels to this story. And so I'm going to read it to you today. It's a a story about uh, two guys named Sid and Marcel. And in 1945, 24-year-old American GI Sid Schaffner was on patrol through Germany in the waning days of World War II when a 19-year-old Marcel Levy, a Polish Jew, flagged his troop down off a road and urged him to come help him. Marcel tells him in Yiddish, you have to leave your route and divert to help us. Sid was faced with a choice. The war was finally starting to turn. His platoon had survived enemy encounters and longed for the safety and the comfort of base. Sid weighed his options. He looked at his fellow soldiers. He looked back into the eyes of Marcel eyes that had seen a side of the war that the globe had no idea existed. Sid left his route and followed Marcel, and little did Sid know that history was about to take an unprecedented turn. Sid's platoon was among the first U.S. soldiers to enter Dachau concentration camp with the 42nd Infantry Division. U.S. forces freed 30,000 people from that concentration camp, including Marcel Levy. Sid and Marcel established an instant bond and became good friends. They were reunited for the first time in decades earlier this month in Israel. Today, Sid is 94. Marcel is 90. But they still remember the day, an American soldier's willingness to leave his route changed the lives of 30,000 people. Everything I have today, all of my children, all of my grandchildren, and my great-grandchildren is due to you, Sid, Levi told Schaffner when the two hugged and wept and saw each other for the first time in years. Marcel's life changed. 30,000 people's lives changed because Sid was willing to be diverted. Sid was willing to delay the comfort of the base and help someone in captivity. Let's stand together, church. When believers are willing to leave their mountaintop. Lives change. The gospel goes forth with power. It travels on the feet of good news, and people's lives are changed. What strikes me about the story I just read is I see two sides of the story. One is Marcel. Marcel managed to escape the concentration camp. I don't know how he got out, but he managed to get through the barbed wire. And his first thought was not to get as far away as he could, but it was to go get help to rescue others. And you and I, we have all been freed. We were all in prison at one point, captive by something, and somebody came to us and offered us the key out. And we have a decision to make if we're just going to stay free on this side of the barbed wire and look through it to who's stuck, or if we're going to go get help and free the rest that we left behind. That's the question for Marcel. 
And then the other side of it is I see this 24-year-old GI. Can't you just picture him in your head? Do you remember what it was like to be 24? I, don't even, I didn't even know what I didn't know when I was 24. You're young. You're optimistic. You just want to get home to your mama and apple pie and maybe a girl. <laughs> the war's almost over. You're 24. And you have a choice. Am I going to be delayed? Am I going to be diverted for this one skinny kid that's waving me down? And Sid said yes. And the world changed for 30,000 people. You and I, we're going to be walking in our lives, the dailiness of our lives at our Kroger. We're going to be playing tennis with our girlfriends. We're going to be riding car line, dropping our kids off at summer camp. And somebody's going to wave us down. Now, they're not going to look like Marcel and Sid looked. They're going to look like the face of someone who needs an encouraging word. They're going to look like someone who just needs to know, is there more to life than just what I have to show for it right here? They're going to look like someone who's very, very thirsty and has been splashed on and shot at with water, but nobody's ever brought them a cup. That is how they're going to look. And the question for us is, will we be their help? Will we be their rescuer?